0: Matthew Henry Complete Commentary on the Whole Bible The Book of Jude. We have here, I, an account of the penman of this epistle, a character of the Church, the blessings and privileges of that happy society, Jude 1, 1 2. 2. The occasion of writing this epistle, Jude 1:3. 3. 3. A character of evil and perverse men, who had already sprung up in that infant state of the Church, and would be succeeded by others of the like evil spirit and temper in after times, Jude 1 4. 4. A caution against hearkening to and following after such, from the severity of God towards the unbelieving murmuring Israelites at their coming out of Egypt, the angels that fell, the sin and punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah, Jude 1 5-7. V. To these the Apostle likens the seducers against whom he was warning them, and describes them at large, Jude 1 8-10, inclusive. By. Then, as specially suitable to his argument, he cites an ancient prophecy of Enoch foretelling and describing the future judgment, Jude 1:14, 15. Seven, he enlarges on the seducer's character and guards against the offense which honest minds might be apt to take at the so early permission of such things, by showing that it was foretold long before that so it must be, Jude 1:16-19. Eight, exhorts them to perseverance in the faith fervency in prayer, watchfulness against falling from the love of God, and a lively hope of eternal life, Jude 1 21. 9. Directs them how to act towards the erroneous and scandalous, Jude 1 23. And, X closes with an admirable doxology in the apostolic benediction. A. D. 66. 1 Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, to mercy unto you, and peace, and love, be multiplied. Here we have the preface or introduction, in which. I, we have an account of the penman of this epistle, Jude, or Judas, or Judah. He was namesake to one of his ancestors, the patriarch son of Jacob, the most eminent though not the firstborn of his sons, out of whose loins, lineally in a most direct succession, the Messiah came. This was a name of worth, eminency, and honor, yet one. He had a wicked namesake. There was one Judas, one of the twelve, surnamed Iscariot, from the place of his birth, who was a vile traitor, the betrayer of his and our Lord. The same names may be common to the best and worst persons. It may be instructive to be called after the names of eminently good men, But there can be no inference drawn thence as to what we shall prove, though we may even thence conclude what sort of persons our good parents or progenitors desired and hoped we should be. But, too, our Judas was quite another man. He was an apostle, so was Iscariot, but he was a sincere disciple and follower of Christ, so was not the other. He was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, the other was his betrayer and murderer, therefore, here the one is very carefully distinguished from the other. Dr. Manton's note upon this is that God takes great care of the good name of his sincere and useful servants. Why then should we be prodigal of our own or one another's reputation and usefulness? Our apostle here calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ, esteeming that a most honorable title. It is more honorable to be a sincere and useful servant of Christ than to be an earthly king, how potent and prosperous soever. He might have claimed kindred to Christ according to the flesh, but he waives this. And rather glories in being his servant. Observe, 1. It is really a greater honor to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ than to be akin to him according to the flesh. Many of Christ's natural kindred, as well as of his progenitors, perished, not from one of natural affection in him as man, but from infidelity and obstinacy in themselves, which should make the descendants and near relatives of persons most eminent for sincere and exemplary piety jealous over themselves with a godly jealousy a son of Noah may be saved in the ark from a flood of temporal destruction, and yet be overwhelmed at last in a deluge of divine wrath, and suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. Christ Himself tells us that He that heareth His word and doeth it, that is, He only, is as His brother, and sister, and mother, that is, more honorably and advantageously related to Him than the nearest and dearest of His natural relatives, considered merely as such. See Matthew twelve forty-eight to 50 2 in that the Apostle Jude styles himself a servant, though an Apostle, a dignified officer in Christ's Kingdom, it is a great honour to the meanest sincere minister, and it holds proportionably as to every upright Christian, that he is the servant of Christ Jesus. The Apostles were servants before they were Apostles, and they were but servants still. Away then with all pretensions in the ministers of Christ to lordly dominion either over one another or over the flocks committed to their charge. Let us ever have that of our dear Redeemer in actual view, it shall not be so among you, Matthew 20 twenty six. And brother of James, to wit, of him whom the ancient style the first bishop of Jerusalem, of whose character and martyrdom Josephus makes mention, ascribing the horrible destruction of that city and nation to this wicked cruelty, as one of its principal causes. Of this James our Jude was brother, whether in the strictest or a larger, though very usual, acceptation I determine not he however reckons it an honour to him that he was the brother of such a one. We ought to honour those who are above us in age, gifts, graces, station, not to envy them, yet neither to flatter them, nor be led merely by their example, when we have reason to think they act wrong. Thus the Apostle Paul withstood his fellow Apostle Peter to the face, notwithstanding the high esteem he had for him and the affectionate love he bore to him, when he saw that he was to be blamed, that is, really blameworthy, and following verses. 2. We are here informed to whom this epistle is directed, namely, to all those who are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. I begin with the last called, that is, called Christians, in the judgment of charity, further than which we cannot, nor in justice ought to go, in the judgments or opinions we form or receive of one another, for what appears not is not, nor ought to come into account in all our dealings with and censures of one another, whatever abatements the divine goodness may see fit to make for an honest though misguided zeal. The church pretends not, I am sure it ought not, to judge of secret or hidden things, things drawn into the light before time, lest our rash and preposterous zeal do more harm than good, or I am afraid ever will do. The tares and wheat, if Christ may be judge, must grow together till the harvest, Matthew thirteen twenty-eight 28-30, and then he himself will, by proper instruments, take timely care to separate them. We ought to think the best we can of every man till the contrary appear, not being forward to receive or propagate, much less invent, disadvantageous characters of our brethren. This is the least we can make of the Apostle's large and excellent description of charity, 1 Corinthians 13 1 13, and this we ought to make conscience of acting up to, which till we do, the Christian churches will be, as, alas, they are at this day, filled with envying and strife, confusion and every evil work, James 3:16. Or, the Apostle may speak of their being called to be Christians, by the preaching of the Word, which they gladly received, and professed cordially to believe, and so were received into the society and fellowship of the Church Christ the Head, and believers the members, real believers really, professed believers visibly. Note, Christians are the called, called out of the world, the evil spirit and temper of it, above the world, to higher and better things, heaven, things unseen and eternal, called from sin to Christ, from vanity to seriousness, from uncleanness to holiness, and this in pursuance of divine purpose and grace, for whom He did predestinate those He also called, Romans 8:30. Now those who are thus called, are, one. Sanctified, sanctified by God the Father, Sanctification is usually spoken of in Scripture as the work of the Holy Spirit, yet here it is ascribed to God the Father, because the Spirit works it is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. Note, all who are effectually called are sanctified, made partakers of a divine nature, 2 Peter 1 4, for without holiness no man shall see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. Observe, our sanctification is not our own work. If any are sanctified, they are so by God the Father, Not excluding Son or Spirit, for they are one, one God. Our corruption and pollution are of ourselves, but our sanctification and renovation are of God and His grace, and therefore if we perish in our iniquity we must bear the blame, but if we be sanctified and glorified all the honour and glory must be ascribed to God, and to Him alone. I own it is hard to give a clear and distinct account of this, but we must not deny nor disregard necessary truth because we cannot fully reconcile the several parts of it to each other. 4, on that supposition, we might deny that any one of us could stir an inch from the place we are at present in, though we see the contrary every day and hour. 2. The called and sanctified are preserved in Christ Jesus. As it is God who begins the work of grace in the souls of men, so it is He who carries it on, and perfects it. Where He begins He will perfect, though we are fickle, He is constant. He will not forsake the work of His own hands, Psalms 138 8 let us not therefore trust in ourselves, nor in our stock of grace already received, but in Him, and in Him alone, still endeavouring, by all proper and appointed means, to keep ourselves, as ever we would hope He should keep us. Note, 1. Believers are preserved from the gates of hell, and to the glory of heaven. 2. All who are preserved are preserved in Jesus Christ, in Him as their citadel and stronghold, no longer than they abide in Him, and solely by virtue of their union with Him. 3. We have the Apostolical Benediction, Mercy to you, and. From the mercy, peace, and love of God all our comfort flows, all our real enjoyment in this life, all our hope of a better. 1. The mercy of God is the spring and fountain of all the good we have or hope for, mercy not only to the miserable, but to the guilty. 2. Next to mercy is peace, which we have from the sense of having obtained mercy we can have no true and lasting peace but what flows from our reconciliation with God by Jesus Christ. 3. As from mercy springs peace, so from peace springs love, His love to us, our love to Him, and our brotherly love, forgotten, wretchedly neglected, grace, to one another. These the Apostle prays may be multiplied, that Christians may not be content with scraps and narrow scantlings of them, but that souls and societies may be full of them. NOTE. God is ready to supply us with all grace, and a fullness in each grace. If we are straitened, we are not straitened in Him, but in ourselves. The Common Salvation, Monuments of Judgment A. D. 66. 3 Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 4 For there are certain men crept in unawares, were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. 5 I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. 6 And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Seven Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We have here, I, the design of the Apostle in writing this epistle to the lately converted Jews and Gentiles, namely, to establish them in the Christian faith, And a practice and conversation truly consonant and conformable thereunto, and in an open and bold profession thereof, especially in times of notorious opposition, whether by artful seduction or violent and inhuman persecution. But then we must see to it very carefully that it be really the Christian faith that we believe, profess, propagate, and contend for, not the discriminating badges of this or the other party, not anything of later date than the inspired writings of the holy evangelists and apostles. Here observe, 1. The Gospel salvation is a common salvation, that is, in a most sincere offer and tender of it to all mankind to whom the notice of it reaches, for so the commission runs, Mark 16, 15, 16 Go you into all the world, and preach the Gospel to every creature, and. C- Surely God means as He speaks, He does not delude us with vain words, whatever men do, and therefore none are excluded from the benefit of these gracious offers and invitations, but those who obstinately impenitently finally exclude themselves, whoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely revelation twenty two seventeen the application of it is made to all believers, and only to such it is made to the weak as well as to the strong. Let none discourage themselves on the account of hidden decrees which they can know little of and with which they have nothing to do. God's decrees are dark, his covenants are plain, all good Christians meet in Christ the common head are actuated by one and the same Spirit, are guided by one rule, meet here at one throne of grace, and hope shortly to meet in one common inheritance, a glorious one to be sure, but what or how glorious we cannot, nor at present need to know, but such it will be as vastly to exceed all our present hopes and expectations. 2. This common salvation is the subject matter of the faith of all the saints. The doctrine of it is what they almost heartily consent to, they esteem it as a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. 1 Timothy 1 15. It is the faith once, or at once, once for all, delivered to the saints, to which nothing can be added, from which nothing may be detracted, in which nothing more nor less should be altered. Here let us abide, here we are safe, if we stir a step further, we are in danger of being either entangled or seduced. 3. The Apostles and Evangelists Saul wrote to us of this common salvation this cannot be doubted by those who have carefully read their writings. It is strange that any should think they wrote chiefly to maintain particular schemes and opinions, especially such as they never did nor could think of. It is enough that they have fully declared to us, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, all that is necessary for every one to believe and do, in order to obtain a personal interest in the common salvation. 4. Those who preach or write of the common salvation should give all diligence to do it well they should not allow themselves to offer to God or His people that which costs them nothing, or next to nothing, little or no pains or thought, 2 Samuel 24:24. This were to treat God irreverently, and man unjustly. The Apostle, though inspired, gave all diligence to write of the common salvation. What then will become of those who, though uninspired, give no diligence, or next to none, but say to the people, even in the name of God. Quiquid in Buckham venerate whatever comes next, who, so that they use scripture words, care not how they interpret or apply them. Those who speak of sacred things ought always to speak of them with the greatest reverence, care, and diligence. 5. Those who have received the doctrine of this common salvation must contend earnestly for it. Earnestly, not furiously. Those who strive for the Christian faith, or in the Christian course, must strive lawfully. Or they lose their labor and run great hazard of losing their crown. 2 Timothy two five. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James one twenty. Lying for the truth is bad, and scolding for it is not much better. Observe, those who have received the truth must contend for it, but how? As the apostles did, by suffering patiently and courageously for it, not by making others suffer if they will not presently embrace every notion that we are pleased. Proved or unproved, to call faith or fundamental, we must not suffer ourselves to be robbed of any essential article of Christian faith by the cunning craftiness or specious plausible pretences of any who lie in wait to deceive. Ephesians 4:14. The Apostle Paul tells us he preached the gospel, mind it was the gospel, with much contention. First Thessalonians 2:2. That is, as I understand it, with earnestness, with a hearty zeal and a great concern for the success of what he preached. But, if we will understand contention in the common acceptation of the word, we must impartially consider with whom the Apostle contended, and how, the enlarging on which would not be proper for this place. 2. The occasion the Apostle had to write to this purport. As evil manners give rise to good laws, so dangerous errors often give just occasion to the proper defense of important truths. Here observe, 1 ungodly men are the great enemies of the faith of Christ and the peace of the Church. Those who deny or corrupt the one, and disturb the other, are here expressly styled ungodly men. We might have truth with peace, a most desirable thing, were there none, ministers or private Christians, in our particular churches and congregations but truly godly men a blessing scarcely to be looked or hoped for on this side heaven. Ungodly men raise scruples, merely to advance and promote their own selfish, ambitious, and covetous ends. This has been the plague of the Church in all past ages, and I am afraid no age is, or will be, wholly free from such men and such practices as long as time shall last. Observe, nothing cuts us off from the Church but that which cuts us off from Christ, namely, reigning infidelity and ungodliness. We must abhor the thought of branding particular parties or persons with this character, especially of doing it without the least proof, or, As it too often happens, the least shadow of it. Those are ungodly men who live without God in the world, who have no regard to God and conscience. Those are to be dreaded and consequently to be avoided, not only who are wicked by sins of commission, but also who are ungodly by sins of omission, who, for example, restrain prayer before God, who dare not reprove a rich man, when it is the duty of their place so to do, for fear of losing his favour and the advantage they promise themselves therefrom who do the work of the Lord negligently, and. 2. Those are the worst of ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, who take encouragement to sin more boldly because the grace of God has abounded, and still abounds, so wonderfully, who are hardened in their impieties by the extent and fullness of gospel grace, the design of which is to reduce men from sin, and bring them unto God. Thus therefore to wax one and under so great grace, and turn it into an occasion of working all uncleanness with greediness, and hardening ourselves in such a course by that very grace which is the last and most forcible means to reclaim us from it, is to render ourselves the vilest, the worst, and most hopeless of sinners. 3. Those who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness do in effect deny the Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Read. Post.